0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox this Monday morning. In your headlines, the S&P and the Nasdaq post their worst week since March 2020 as markets are volatile ahead of this week's Fed meeting. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva tells CNBC exclusively the global economy depends on central bank clarity.
1: There that could throw cold water on what for some countries is already a weak recovery. And this is why uh, what the Fed is doing to clearly communicate, to prevent surprises is hugely important. Silvia Berlusconi
0: drops out of the race as the secret ballot to elect Italy's next president begins with Prime Minister Mario Draghi among the favourites.
2: Beijing steps up its Covid emergency status as the Chinese capital reports almost 80 cases among Winter Olympics arrivals with the Games due to start next week. The US evacuates all non-essential staff from Ukraine. And the UK threatened serious consequences to a Russian invasion but says a British military deployment is unlikely.
0: I certainly think financial sanctions properly, properly targeted and done in concert with our major partners is something that we would readily look at. And Nelson Peltz's activist hedge fund at Triad reportedly takes a stake in Unilever, ratcheting up pressure on the company after its failed bid for GSK's consumer health arm. so let's listen in to some of the commentary we've had then around the preparations for this week's federal reserve meeting and we've already discussed in the headlines a little bit how expectations about how the fed is going to begin tightening are already causing a lot of volatility for financial markets but what do the great and good think the fed should actually do Well, the imf managing director crystalina gorgieva says a rate hike from the fed could throw cold water on other countries' recoveries. Gorgieva was talking to me during a Davos Agenda panel on the Global Economic Outlook, which also featured the European Central Bank's Christine Lagarde, the BOJ's Haruhiko Kuroda, as well as Brazil's Economy Minister and the Finance Minister of Indonesia. The IMF's managing director also telling me that global leaders face more complicated issues now than at the start of the pandemic. So,
1: that country specificity is what makes 2022 uh, in a way even more difficult than 2020. Why? In 2020, we had similar policies everywhere because we were fighting the same problem. A, an economy in a uh, uh, standstill. In 2022, conditions in countries are very different. So we cannot anymore have the same policy everywhere. It has to be uh, country specific. Uh, and that makes our, our job in 22 uh, so much more complicated.
0: Absolutely, managing director. But of course, as we all know, there are some central banks that have a greater impact on the rest of the world than others. And in yeah. that context, let, let me just ask you, um, the talk is of the Federal Reserve, quote, regaining credibility by hiking interest rates next week. Now, now, does that language um, sound unhelpful in the context of a
1: pandemic recovery? Uh, we we have to be uh, very humble uh, in terms of how we determine actions at, at the time of high uncertainty. The Fed is acting responsibly because inflation in the United States uh, is turning into an economic and social concern. We also know that actions by the Fed are very significant for the U.S., so this delicate balancing act between fighting inflation but protecting the recovery is something that i i'm I'm confident the Fed is is very mindful of the issue here is that what the fed does has implications for the us it has implications for other countries especially for those that have high level of dollar denominated debt and there that could throw cold water on what, for some countries, is already a weak recovery. Meanwhile, the
0: European Central Bank president, Christine Lagarde, stressed her criteria for further monetary tightening has not yet been satisfied. She also said that despite the Fed looking to hike rates in the near term, the picture in Europe is very different. These two big factors, are they going to be with
3: us for the long term? are they going to affect this inflation number and make it sustainable and will that dictate our monetary policy response and on all those fronts we have to look at special indicators one of which is wages our salary negotiations our collective uh, discussions between unions and employers actually driving towards what many would fear which is this second round effect that would then lead to inflation being sustainable for the medium term and at a level that maybe is not desirable because it is above target. But I think that, you know, we have, um, first of all, we're not seeing in the euro area in particular and in Europe in general, we're not seeing these wages negotiations, uh, you know, being way up. Not yet at the moment, at least. And uh, as a result of that, we are not, we are not seeing this this sustainable movement that would lead to inflation spiralling out of control on the contrary we assume and again lesson of humility here there is a lot of uncertainty about it but we assume for the moment that energy prices will stabilize in the course of 22 uh, that those bottlenecks and those congested ports and, and 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 drivers missing in action and all the rest of it will also stabilize in the course of 22 and that gradually those inflation numbers will decline. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we have to be open to any change to this inflation outlook. And I'm looking at the numbers that we have since you know a month ago. We will be having new projections in a couple of months. That might look different. And at that point, I will have to look at my roadmap. And we have agreed within the euro area, a roadmap that is called forward guidance. And I have to look at whether my three criteria of inflation at target 2% at the end of the projection horizon, which is three years, midpoint, and currently sufficiently strong to actually be consistent with inflation being sustainable at 2%. If and when those three criteria are satisfied, then of course we need to act. And we have, by the way, we have actually started because we are now scheduling the end of our exceptional program at the end of March. We are phasing out our net asset purchases in significant volumes, moving from 80 down to 20 20 billion per month over the course of 22. And we know exactly in which sequence we need to move. And it's once we have completed our net asset purchases, then we will look at other tools in the toolbox, including uh, interest rate hikes.
0: I think you... When you spoke to French radio on Thursday, you said uh, we have every reason not to act as rapidly and as brutally that one can imagine the Fed would do. Um, I just wanted to ask you, as you uh, see the markets trying to reprice European sovereign paper and you obviously see the reaction that we had in the euro from the news that the council was split um, how do you convince the markets that you are going slower for longer because they seem to be trying to hustle you into acting?
3: Mm. Well, you know, again, I think that we have to be data dependent, state dependent, patient, and we have to conduct the right analysis. And what do we look at? We look at two different markets. Uh, When I look, for instance, at at demand, which is clearly a major factor on which monetary policy can have some uh, impact, our demand in Europe is not a state of excessive demand as compared with the US, which is 30% above pre-pandemic levels. We are just about at pre-pandemic level here in Europe. When I look at the labour market, we are not experiencing anything like the great resignation. And our employment participation numbers are getting very close to the pre-pandemic level. So I think if only those two factors, uh, if, if you look at them carefully, are clearly indicating that we're not moving at the same speed and we are unlikely to experience the same kind of inflation increases uh, that the U.S. market has faced. i remind you that core inflation in the U.S. is at 5.5% when it is at 2.6% in the euro area. And as I said, we have a forward guidance, which is pretty, it's a complicated one, granted, but it is pretty uh, solid. We know what to look at, when uh, to uh, combine the three, and we will act. There's no question in my mind that once the criteria are satisfied, we will. But at the moment, they're not satisfied.
0: That's so a very interesting Christine Lagarde there, <clears throat> I think setting out some very clear uh, reasons, Karen, why she thinks now is not the time for the, uh, uh, the European Central Bank to be more aggressive. But uh, we, could, and we could take this discussion in a number of directions. I think w- what's interesting here is how she is trying to steer the um, increasingly limited consensus that there appears to be on the governing council. And increasingly there are signs, it seems to me, of division. And you've only got to look at the latest uh, commentary that we're getting from Ollie Wren, the Finnish central bank governor, who's talking about, yes, the 2% target will be achieved over the next few years. And then you've got Robert Holtzman, who's out there saying, ultimately, we have a lot of uncertainty around the direction of inflation, and we're not convinced or at least he doesn 't seem to be convinced that they fully appreciate or understand how hot inflation is going to get before it rolls over at this stage um, clearly there is no wage price spiral across the eurozone at this at this moment <clears throat> but if you look at the union settlement that we saw in Germany before the end of the year Karen two point eight percent for germany 's public workers that is to my mind, running a little hotter than the 2% that was anticipated uh, by the European Central Bank as it set its inflation target.
2: A couple of points that jump out to me, Jeff, on the back of that uh, terrific conversation is whether we've got a a eurozone that will be growing at the same pace and does highlight the need for common policy across the board when you're dealing with crises like this because we know that it's been very different. I mean, you started out uh, that uh, series of question and answers with Kristina uh, Gorgieva and effectively what we heard there is the impact of what the Fed does on other countries. Similar situation here where we've had a massive uh, fiscal policies that have been administered and we're questioning what the impact is across the board. And when it comes to Europe, you need to effectively have all these countries improving at the same pace or facing the, the same sort of inflationary pressures that warrants the same level of tightening down the track or the same sort of transitory impact of inflation that doesn't warrant too strong a move so I think it's very difficult from here to see what happens with Europe and whether they are all going to warrant the same form of monetary tightening that is clearly a risk from here but it does again take you back to European policies that you do need the disbursement of funds on an even basis. You need to have these economies all growing uh, in lockstep. So I think uh, the dispersion that you've seen across the world, that cannot be tolerated when it comes to Europe if you're dealing with common policies. I think that that's quite a fascinating point to take a look at. But in terms of the, the comments that you had initially about the, the cold water effect of the Fed on uh, some of the uh, economies that are still trying to recover, I think that is also an important point as we talk about investor allocation this year. Uh, We had uh, some early conversations already about whether you get a catch up in some of the emerging markets because they've been a little bit left behind in 2021. But if we're talking not just one and perhaps four rate hikes, which is now being priced into the market, what sort of cold water effect is that is it is telegraphing it going to be enough for a lot of the countries across the world that haven't fully recovered or will they be hit quite hard by these measures from the central bank in the us so i think that is just worth taking another look at you can think see just how violently a lot of investors are repositioning on markets already around what they consider to be fresh information this year I think this continues for a little bit and uh, this week's going to be pivotal as we waited out for the Fed. The all-important meeting, whether they telegraphed that March is going to be the lift-up time frame. I mean, already this morning, Goldman Sachs has been uh, reported as saying that whether there's going to be Tightening it considered at every single meeting over the course of this year, not just the four that have been considered by markets or whether it's even more aggressive than that. And, you know, we often have the conversation about what is the catalyst? Is the, the tail wagging the dog at this point or is the dog still in charge? And, you know, we keep talking about the crisis here and the pandemic and the impact on supply chains. Well we're waiting for it to correct, but now we've got Omicron and we know that there's another impact on supply chains. But if those price pressures become embedded in the psychology of consumers, no matter whether the initial cause was transitory, it could morph into something greater, which does become entrenched, which then forces central banks to act beyond their expectations that they're dealing with something transitory. So I think that's still what we're watching over the course of the next 12 months around this virus, Jeff.
0: Karen, terrific. Thank you so much for that and for our full roundup uh, from the Davos Agenda Panel on the Global Economic Outlook. Check out CNBC.com. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about why the markets are selling off and what expectations are for interest rates through this week. But let's just revisit the numbers. Um, Is it about the weak earnings season? Is it about the Federal Reserve Are people getting too hawkish on expectations about the pace with which the Fed is going to tighten? Uh, Whatever you argue. Um, it is pretty clear that we had quite a difficult week for those long the headline US indices last week. Across the week we were down 5.7% over the past week and the Nasdaq, um, if I, uh, I'm correct on the figures, were down 7.6% and there were some real uh, standouts in the performance. Uh, the uh, Uh, netflix uh, results uh, real hammer blow as you saw that share price down twenty two percent but let's let's just um, delve a little bit more deeply into the performance across the week then if we can uh, flip the chart and just show you that five point six percent decline across the week and i'm not sure that the shape of the chart actually tells us a whole lot here does it i mean it basically just indicates the extent of the decline that we saw across the week as a whole and let me show you that seven percent plus move for the Nasdaq and let's get some uh, analysis on exactly why we think markets are so volatile at the moment. Holger Schmieding joins us, Chief Economist at Berenberg. Holger, good to see you this morning. If we could just start off with the Fed since it is a very key week here on guidance from uh, the Federal Reserve. Are markets becoming too hawkish? in anticipation of uh, uh, the the Fed's move uh, later through the quarter?
4: Well, I think markets are by now realistic. I don't think they are too hawkish yet, but the way markets move, there is a significant risk that markets may become too hawkish. After all, they overshoot both directions. We are among those who expect four rate hikes of 25 basis points this year, with a risk that it might be five but against the backdrop of a very strong nominal and real demand in the US. Even these rate hikes would merely sort of dampen a bit the very strong momentum in the US economy, but they would not derail the US economic upswing and hence the outlook for earnings in a significant way in our view.
0: The the earnings have been a little disappointing as well, to be honest. Um, The banks were expected to hit the ball out of the park and in fact we got quite a lot of disappointment and misses either on profit or revenue from the, uh, the main US banks. And then, of course, the, uh, the sentiment was weakened by the news that we had from companies like Peloton and Netflix and those that aren't making a, a huge amount of profit at the moment in the dot-com space. Have we turned a corner, do you think, on the post-COVID lockdown recovery in earnings?
4: Well, of course, the strong post-COVID recovery, the bounce back to normal, is over, especially in the U.S., where economic economic activity in the third quarter already surpassed, actually in the second quarter already started to surpass the pre-COVID level of activity. So that's over. But our outlook is that there is strong demand in the pipeline. Consumers have money to spend. Companies want to invest more. The impact of the fiscal packages that have already been passed in the U.S., most of that is still to come in terms of actual government spending. So we look for years of above-trend growth in nominal and real GDP, and that kind of defines the space for the growth in corporate profits and earnings. And our outlook for that is good. Of course, it may not always be the same sectors that have this covid de- uh, drop and then the post-covid recovery but on balance the outlook in our view for what defines the space for corporate earnings is good and hence we view this as a correction in markets but not as a change in trend towards a bear market
2: holger as we were hearing christian lagarde talk about the short medium long term view when hitting criteria on inflation across that time span Do you think we are going to have a Eurozone growing in lockstep that steps away from the Omicron wave, potentially deals with other variants and uh, has the impacts, I guess, uh, that are greater in some countries where tourism is a a bigger slice of the economy versus others where you've got a a bigger slice of uh, industrial uh, profits coming through? Do you think we will have a Eurozone that does grow in lockstep over the short, medium and long term that does require the same policy?
4: Well, I do think we will have a eurozone that grows fairly fast, uh, roughly as fast as the U.S. over the course of this year and almost as fast again as the U.S. next year. The precise time for profit is of course, very uncertain. A, we have Omicron now, and B, we don't quite know, know, know yet how China is going to react to Omicron. Will they keep their zero COVID strategy, which means the risk of lockdowns, lockdowns? And that would hit, of course, industry and export-dependent Europe more than, say, the US. But this is more or less shorter. For the longer term analysis and even the medium-term analysis, say middle of this year and beyond. We do have similar pent-up demand in the eurozone than in the US. Tourism is likely to do pretty well after the end of the Omicron wave. So definitely, almost definitely, I should say, by late spring, summer. So I think the eurozone will have a strong economic performance, and that will eventually persuade and have to persuade the ECB to also raise rates uh, at least next year, although for this year they have, I would say, unfortunately, apparently ruled it almost out.
2: Can I probe a little bit deeper on supply chains? Because some of the evidence suggested that we were seeing improvements, but it does feel as though there are even more shortages this year than there were last year. At what point do you think we see central banks dismiss the transitory notion around supply chains that you've got an issue here, it's fundamentally changing expectations around pricing pressures in future? You know, when do you think that could potentially happen?
4: Well, two things. First of all, these supply chain issues will probably be called transitory for as long as they last because it is simply an unusual situation. We, are get, we will be getting more semiconductors in a while. We don't know quite when, when exactly in 2023. So the supply chain issues, I don't think will really shape central bank policy. But of course, as you already mentioned early in the program, if central banks get the impression that this temporary shock from supply chains, is turning into something more permanent in the sense of inflation expectations, then, of course, this would be a significant issue for central banks, and that would impact their policy outlook, as it seems to be doing to some extent in the US. Having said that, the European Central Bank is not confronting anything like the wage pressures that we already see in the US, and as a result, the ECB will... (laughs) for a longer time, find arguments to delay the rate lift off than the Fed have.
2: Holger, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Great to catch up with you and hear your view. Holger Schmidting with us, Chief Economist at Berenberg. A big developments out of Italy this week and coming on the show, we will bring you the latest from that country as a key candidate drops out of the race for president and as a complex secret ballot kicks off. Friedrich Merz is the new leader of the CDU after winning almost 95 percent of a delicate vote at a party conference. The conservative lawmaker has vowed to form a powerful opposition to Olaf Scholz's government. Mertz's party finds itself in opposition for the first time in 16 years. And Silvio Berlusconi has dropped out of the race to be Italy's next president. The four times former prime minister, who has now been admitted to hospital, told supporters to give up treating him as a contender. Berlusconi's decision throws a spanner in the works of an election process which is already difficult to understand. More than 1,000 lawmakers will begin casting votes for a new president today. Let's get out to Sylvia for more from Rome. Sylvia, this is one of the big events that markets has been watching closely because Mario Draghi's name has also been touted as a potential candidate here and whether that triggers fresh elections. Just give us a sense of what this news flow around Berlusconi means as the, the secret ballot that kicks off.
5: Okay let's start with that then. Uh, on Saturday we heard indeed that Silvio Berlusconi is out of the race to become the next president of Italy and that indeed is important because it essentially gives right-wing parties a possibility to put other names on the table that might get more support from left-leaning lawmakers than Silvio Berlusconi was getting. We had heard from the PD from the five-star movement different lawmakers on that side of the political spectrum saying that they would Definitely not be voting for Silvio Berlusconi. And so that essentially opens the door now to potentially further agreements, new agreements, I should say, in the coming days. And it's important as well to look at the possibility of an agreement because of the way that this process actually unfolds. So, all in all, we're going to have 1,009 lawmakers and original delegates choosing the new president of Italy, the next person that will be living in the palace, you see behind me. And, and the, the, the ballot is secret. And it's important there to see that in the first three rounds of voting, it will the, a potential winner will need at least a two-thirds majority. And so without a big consensus, a big majority over one key name, it will be very difficult for Italian lawmakers to rally behind one key candidate. After the third round of voting, though, the threshold actually decreases to a simple majority and therefore it becomes slightly easier To reach that agreement over who will be the next president of Italy. But right now there's just a lot of uncertainty. I spoke with one lawmaker from uh, the Five Star Movement, one of the key political parties here in Italy on Sunday, and he said that there's essentially just big confusion at this point in time because right-wing and left-leaning politicians cannot agree at this moment in time. There's not that clear majority at this moment. And of course there's the possibility that Prime Minister Mario Draghi, he might become the next president. He signaled in December that he's actually uh, willing to take on that role. But a lot of the lawmakers on the right wing cannot, uh, th- actually don't think that he should become the next president. So there's this uh, opposition, if you will, between left-leaning and right-wing politicians at this point in time. But all in all, this is a very important election, carrot because it's not just about the future of Mario Draghi, it's not just about the future of the current government here in Italy. It's also about whether Italy will manage to reform its economy in the coming years and receive those key European funds.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.